All right, we are live, ladies and gentlemen. BlackRock has been in the news a lot recently. The CEO, Larry Fink, says he's going to stop using the term ESG. BlackRock is setting itself up to be an intermediary to help rebuild the Ukraine economy. Also, James O'Keefe recently exposed an employee of BlackRock saying some really frightening things. We're going to be talking about all this and more in episode 404 of the In the Tank podcast. Oh, I see Joe Biden dancing in the background. We're going to try to get him on the line. I'm not sure if we got Joe Biden in for today, but we will see. Welcome to the In the Tank podcast. As always, I'm your host, Donald Kendall. Joining me, I got the full crew. I got Jim Lakely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? I'm doing uh, fantastic. I'm looking forward very much to tomorrow where you, me, and that hipster beard of yours are all going to go to uh watch indiana jones five together and That's it's right. uh yeah it's uh reportedly not good and uh which means i'm going to enjoy it immensely yeah and, Jim, uh yeah that, Jim, the, the worse the movie gets like actually sometimes the more i enjoy it we should try to keep track of certain like metrics while we're watching it like the number of eye rolls <laughs> the 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 number of like grown worthy moments like like different things like that you know that's that's how we should go into the movie setting the bar low but yeah uh, I, i'm just there for the popcorn and <laughs> that's, uh, right. that's it also joining us we have justin haskins director of the socialism research center how are you doing today good sir i'm doing okay i'm a little bit you know I'm a little upset over the conversation we had prior to uh, the tape rolling here, so, so I'm, a little, uh, I'm a little upset. Well, I'm a little triggered. I was defending okay. Indiana Jones four and the uh, the Crystal Skull uh, because it had aliens in it, and that was too much for Justin to handle. But uh, no, that wasn't that. No, we're not going to get into it. We're not going to get into it. But just I want the audience to know that everything that he just said is wildly misleading that isn't exactly the dispute that we were having it was not about the aliens it was about other factors in the movie it's just so frustrating talking to donnie about movies is like <laughs> oh my god i've got the like best taste in the world Democrats about taxes or something. oh like, he oh, doesn't know what he's talking about brutal, you are brutal. slandering me all right also joining us we have chris talgo he is editorial director here at the heartland institute how are you doing today good sir Doing good and want to wish all the listeners a happy early Independence Day. Good. Nice. Hope, hope everyone, hope everyone uh, you know, enjoys themselves. We will be having a uh, first annual barbecue here at the Harlan Institute on Monday, July 3rd. So uh, join us. <laughs> join, join us, everyone. Come on down. Tonight, I, I saw somebody uh, saluting us from uh, Utah in the chat there. So, you know, get a plane ticket. We'll make sure that you get a hamburger off the grill. That yeah, well, you know, especially if you have a grill. We still I still have to work out the logistics of getting a grill over here to the office. But, uh, yeah. yeah you know, Donnie, we're, we're a couple of years away from the 250th anniversary of the nation's birthday 
I just hope we're still able to celebrate Independence oh, Day hot three, three years Chicago. from today, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe really we'll do. all be integrated with machines by then. So audio only listeners that are catching the show on a Friday. First off, why don't you leave us a review on iTunes? That'd be greatly appreciated. But you could also join us live where we are streaming this on YouTube and Rumble and Twitter and Facebook on Thursdays at noon central time. You can join the conversation, throw your comments and questions in the chat. Maybe we will address your questions on the fly or show your comments on the screen. We also have that super chat function enabled so that you can guarantee a question or comment is asked or addressed. And it's a great way to support the show. Also, you could uh, help us out by not spending any money just by hitting that like button, sharing this content, subscribing if you haven't already, or just leaving a comment under the video. All these things help break through those big tech algorithms algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more people so gentlemen we do have plenty to talk about today but when i was like looking for stuff to talk about and things that were in the news um i just like it really struck me not for the first time um but just the speed at which everything is happening it's so fast and I know that like people said that like historically, whatever, but it just seems like it's just speeding up and speeding up. I mean, th- just this past weekend, we had a attempted coup in Russia. <laughs> and then before the weekend ended, it stopped. And then now, like four days later, it's so old news that if we brought it up during this podcast, it would be like ancient history. Also, in the like the last week, we had a new more controversy. We talked about Joe Biden, I think last last week maybe two weeks ago more controversy about joe biden and the hunter uh hunter biden text messages from their what's up act or whatever it's called where uh he's basically like threatening a businessman in in china and like and using his dad as leverage or something like that or uh or like elon musk challenging mark zuckerberg to a ufc cage match like all of this stuff all happened within like the last week it's all old news so i just does anyone else feel this way? Or is this just what happens when you have a two month old and a two year old in your house that everything just seems like it's going fast? Uh, what do you think, Justin? Definitely. This, this is, uh, this is, this is just crazy. We, we, we are living in a time when I think there are so many huge stories. So, so in the past, you know, a lot of people wouldn't hear about big stories because, uh, the media is so terrible, and that's still true for sure. The media doesn't talk about really important things, no doubt about that. But now it feels like I don't even think the media can actually keep up with it anyway. I mean, there's just so many things happening all the time. And with the advent of the internet and video and high speed video, especially, and then you get um, 24 hour cable news and all that stuff, it's just like, it's just not possible to keep up with all of these stories. Now, I don't know if it was just this kind of stuff happened before and we just never heard about it. You know, maybe that was it. Maybe, maybe lots of things were always happening and we just didn't know. Or if we've entered into some sort of like pre-apocalyptic world <laughs> where we're all about to be wiped out or something. And this is how yeah, things aliens are were, to go. were part of this too. There, there's a it could alien be a dial talk. of destiny type situation. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, it's just like, I, I just, I, I don't know. I don't know how you can explain that. We had, an, like, the, 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 the attempted coup of Russia thing is incredible. Like, you had a, a Russian, um, 
you had a a guy who was a former restaurant chain owner <laughs> right, right. out of prison becomes personal chef uh. to Vladimir Putin, a dictator. That naturally leads to forming a mercenary organization. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. <laughs> that does all the dirty work of Russia, right? He then turns on his own former client, right? Who he used to be his personal chef, for God's sakes. Now he's turning on him. And he's riding into Moscow because the Russian military is all in Ukraine, which is in and of itself. The fact that we still have a war going on in Europe right now, like we're living in the 1940s or something and nobody uh-huh. ever talks about it, is crazy. And then he just decides on the road to Moscow where there's no military. He just decides, you know what? Eh, this was fun, but I don't want to kill anybody. I'm going to go to Belarus. You know, do that. So we're going to Belarus. Is that Okay. And Putin's like, yeah, sure. Don't worry about it. You stab me in the back, but you can go to Belarus. It's like, this is the weirdest. There's yeah, obviously I mean, so much to that story that we do not know oh, sure, at all. And we never will. And we've all forgotten. And and like, it, as you said, nobody cares anymore. It's and, like, and it never Chris, even happened. And Chris, you're, you're the one that's uh, tuning into all the cable news stations and all of that. And with all this news going on, all the things that I listed off and probably five other things that I neglected to mention. Surely they're still talking about January 6th, right? I was going to say, Donnie, I know the remedy to all this. Just tune into MSNBC or CNN because all you'll get is nonstop Donald Trump coverage because that's all that's happening in this the world. The only thing that's happening. There is no war in Ukraine to them. There is no corruption with Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. There is none of this stuff exists. All that's happening is Donald Trump is trying to uh, become the president again in 2024. That's, and that's all they care about. Yeah, Jim, I mean, I... Uh... I mean, I could make a joke about how maybe you've been around a little bit longer than some of us and and, uh, you know, but surely some of this, some of the speed at which these stories is happening. This isn't unprecedented, right? What do you what do you think? Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's unprecedented. I mean, just just to get back to the to the rush, you know, the attempted coup. I mean, I actually didn't even know I was busy over the weekend. I, I think I saw one alert about it. And I've basically been ignoring all of the the news in Ukraine and the war. I mean, maybe that makes me a bad person, but I just really don't care. Uh, you know, I think, you know, when we're sending billions of dollars over there and if you even ask the question like is there any accountability where's this money going what's it for what's it been used you know i don't need to i don't need an anonymized receipt for everything but it would be nice if there was a little bit of accountability for it and because there isn't you know it tells me that this entire thing is is you know the corruption is so deep and that we're just you know and, and we keep being being uh, indoctrinated i should say or propagandized that um you know this war is a war for democracy zelensky just Announced what this week again talking about stuff that happens fast. He just announced he's just he's going to suspend elections. So so we are we are supporting a war for democracy in which elections have been canceled, and so we live in this bizarre world. And uh, you know, Justin, I don't know. Can I can I share my, my thoughts on you know we started a text thread, you me and uh, and Donnie and and John Noter, for former person on this podcast, and Tim Benson, another person, and that's where I learned that that there was a coup having to go on, and, and you had predicted. You, you had texted here, Justin, you said, if Putin is removed through this coup, Biden wins easily in 2024. He'll claim victory and then the media will back it. Um, I didn't actually respond because John Noter responded for me, basically, because I don't care. 
about the war in Ukraine. And I actually don't think most Americans care that much about the war in Ukraine. This is something that the that the media, especially MSNBC and CNN, are obsessed over. These this these are this is a war that the DC establishment is obsessed over. I don't think the average American really thinks all that much about what's going on over there. One, because I don't think they're actually getting the true story about what's going on over there. Um, you have to kind of seek that out. But you know, the idea that if if Putin is removed, Biden is is reelected easily, I don't buy it because again, I don't think the American people care that much. About that war, you, you know, will, I, when that's the only thing anyone talks about, it, because I, I, that I, because he because it went well and Putin lost. That's the the like the idea that that I, I you know, the idea that um, conservatives generally have their pulse on like what the average American is thinking is like so ludicrous, Jim. Given the fact that we don't ever win any election. I don't know if you've noticed that, but like we almost never win elections. And even when we do, we don't win the popular vote. And so obviously all these oh. people that don't care about the things that we all don't care about seem to care about something i mean what right. what is it's like the media they... the media dictates what we care about that's why right. we all cared about the titanic submarine thing for like a week okay. and a half exactly. add that onto the list of things that happened in the last week by the way right. that's right exactly. i was obs that, i was obsessed with that one i was well, actually and very that, interested and, in that and this is and this is my point so it's like I, it doesn't matter what it doesn't matter what conservatives care about it matters what a tiny little sliver percentage wise of America cares about because they're the ones that decide all the elections. And and the, what those people care about is determined by what the media obsessively talks about. And so if the media all gets together and says, you know, Putin lost the war and America, you know, Biden was the leader behind it. And every, I absolutely think that that would help, help him win the election for sure. There's just no doubt about it whatsoever. But that didn't happen within like an hour of me saying that and John right. and I arguing about it. The guy turned around and he left. So it didn't even, it didn't even matter. It doesn't even matter. So I don't, you know, and that's, and that's the thing I, I, I do think um, to sort of undermine my previous argument in the text thread, things do happen so fast. And there are so many stories that happen. It is hard to know what people will care about. Sure. A year from now, I will you say know, to, to Jim's almost. to Jim's uh, point, I will say that I, I see a lot fewer Ukrainian flags all over the place. But uh, <laughs> whatever, no, uh, but, Chris, but, you were going to say something, say something. I want to get to our main topic. Yeah, just just real quick. I mean, when you really think about it, the fact that there was almost a coup in a country that has the most nuclear weapons right. on the planet Earth and they just kind of dismissed it after like a day is just shocking in and of itself. And I was just reading this morning that the uh, the man who's responsible for the nuclear football in Russia has mysteriously vanished. So it's like these, these these are things that are actually existential threats. This puts climate change, you know, in its box. However, the media is barely, you know, but but the, the media is barely talking <laughs> yeah, about but, that. But did you? But see but, but they are talking about you know climate change like it's you know no no no, no. more important than that. Did you see that the the submarine was controlled by like a like a controller, like yeah, a logic controller. Yeah. I mean, come on, let's talk about that for the next forty-five minutes, guys. That's, distraction, that's, that's distraction, distraction. <laughs> look at this shiny object. Don't worry. It, about, it, don't don't, it, don't look at the economy is... that's crumbling. Don't blah, look at blah, the blah, wide blah, open blah, border. Blah. Don't look at the all these problems. 
Yeah, well, no, no, that's it. The, uh, the the stuff that you're supposed to care about is what we talk about on this show, other than right. the opening banter. But yes, yeah, that's to, why you yeah, learn about BlackRock yeah, and climate change. The opening banter is basically so right. that we it's can stay sane. That's all anyone should care about. <laughs> yeah. The um the the point that Chris made about the nuclear weapons, though, I mean, is is actually a really important point, not just be, because of what Chris said, but also because the fact that the media doesn't care about that, like the fact that we're not talking about that obsessively as though this is like a massive problem that we almost had a mercenary organization take over the largest nuclear arsenal in the world and nobody cares that that just shows how completely absurd our media is and how and, and 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 really how they've completely fallen asleep at the wheel and then when you add in the fact because you mentioned the the uh somebody mentioned jim or somebody that they canceled elections in ukraine when you add in the fact that the current president of the United States, the whole scandal that's surrounding him right now involves him taking money from mm -hmm. foreign entities, including entities in Ukraine, mm -hmm. where he helped get a prosecutor uh, fired in order to protect his son's business interests and his own business interests, and that his administration is now prosecuting the former president of the United States who got impeached for trying to get the Ukrainians to investigate the very same thing that now we're all learning about is and that there's a war happening in the midst of all this and that we're giving them billions of dollars and nobody knows what's happening to, ha to a lot of this money. All of this is it is we are living in if you were to read all of this in a history book, you would think we and you strip the names and the countries out of it. You would you would swear that we're talking about the Soviet Union Justin, or something like that from 50 years ago. The fiberglass that they used on the submarine <laughs> that they went down to the Titanic was recycled from a plane that they couldn't use it for a plane anymore. That trumps everything that you just said. Just an FYI. Just keep. The history just, book that you're describing, delete all of that and put in a box about the submarine. The, <laughs> the only thing worse, the, the, the news is so bad. It is so, so, so bad that we can't even get them to talk about a mercenary group taking the largest <laughs> nuclear arsenal in the world, almost, and yeah. then suddenly changing their minds and going to Bell like. That is just, uh, it is, right, it is so right. sad. Let's get to it. We, let's get to it because this all, it, the main, the main topic actually does tie into what we're talking about a little bit here. So um, let, let's get to it all about BlackRock. We got a whole bunch of stories that center around BlackRock. The first one I want to talk about is uh, Larry Fink, CEO of BlackRock, one of the biggest proponents of ESG, great reset, all that type of good stuff was at the Aspen Ideas Festival this past weekend, and there he told audiences that he was going to stop using the term ESG and that that term has become, quote-unquote, weaponized. He says, I don't use the word ESG anymore because it's been entirely weaponized by the far left and weaponized by the far right. I'm ashamed of being part of this conversation, Fink said in regards to the politicization of the subject. When I write these investment letters, it was never meant to be a political statement. They were written to identify long-term issues to our long-term investors. Now, Justin, I, uh, I, I read this part of the article where he was talking about his investment letters. 
And I'm like, oh, Justin and I did a lot of research into his investment letters. So I pulled up some of the interesting quotes from some of the investment letters that you and I have uh, highlighted in the past in past projects. So let, let's just read a couple of statements from his you know, past investment letters and see how political they are or, or how they tie into the ESG and all of that. So so the, these are kind of revealing. This is this is Larry Fink writing. Capital markets have allowed companies and countries to flourish, but access to capital is not a right. It is a privilege and the duty to attract that capital in a responsible and sustainable way lies with you. Companies not adjusting to this new reality and responding to their workers do so at their own peril. Every company and every industry will be transformed by the transition to a net zero world. The question is, will you lead or will you be led? So it makes it seem like pretty clearly in those statements that if you don't play by these ESG rules, you don't get any money. You don't get any financial backing. You don't get any investment, any financial services that might come from us or whatever. You don't get it because guess what? Access to capital is not a right. It's a privilege. So you have to play by our games, especially when we're going towards net zero economy in, in the future. So after being pressed by Axios about feeling ashamed, Fink said, I never said I was ashamed. I just read the quote where he said he was ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I do believe in conscientious capitalism. And it's funny to me that he uses the term conscientious capitalism while saying that he never meant anything that he's ever said to be a political statement, because the usage of that term would imply that non ESG compliance systems of capitalism would be what? I mean, what's the opposite of conscientious capitalism? Careless capitalism? Negligent capitalism? Like That seems to be the logic of the situation. But uh, Justin, I'm going to go to you first. What do you think about these statements by good old Larry Fink? Yeah, even in the interview where he said, I didn't mean anything about this whole ESG thing that I've been imposing on everybody for a super long time. Like I didn't mean anything by that. I, and I'm ashamed that I was even involved in those conversations. The, the, in that same conversation, he basically said, we're not gonna, we're not gonna change anything we're doing. Right. Actually, you know, we're not actually going to change anything we're doing. We still need our companies to be sustainable and they need to be promoting, you know, equality or whatever he said, equity and all this other stuff. The same stuff he's been saying over and over and over again forever. So what does he even mean? I mean, the re the reason that Larry Fink is doing this, I think, is actually really important to understand. The concept of ESG has been so has become so toxic and so uh, hated by millions and millions of people and companies are so afraid to go near it because of how badly it's turned out for some of them. Right. And because there are so many people who hate it and because there are many people in state legislatures now at legislating against it, that you have to find a way to distance yourself from this really toxic thing, but you can't just abandon ship entirely because there is so much money tied up in it that that's not even possible. Like the no. ship is too big to turn around. Right. So what you do is you just tell everybody that you're turning the ship around in, in the most superficial way possible. And then that way, when anybody says, well, you support ESG, right? He can say, no, 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 I don't. I, I said, I'm ashamed to even be a part of ESG. And then they would say, well, wait a minute. I thought that you cared about uh, conscientious capitalism. Oh, no, no, I do. I do. I care about conscientious capitalism. I think we do need to be sustainable. Well, but isn't that ES, 
G. Well, you know, ESG's been hyper politicized by the far right and the far left. It reminds me of something. And it's like it does. It reminds it reminds me very much of of his uh, old European pal Klaus <laughs> in uh, the World Economic Forum, Davos man himself. Right. Uh, him and the World Economic Forum ran away uh, after after spending a significant amount of time and energy getting all of the world leaders in the West using the same slogan, the Great Reset, over and over and over again, pushing the reset button on capitalism. We need a new social contract, all this stuff. Suddenly, they were apologizing for that and not using that anymore. And now we don't have the Great Reset. Now it's called all this other stuff, Davos right. Manifesto, Conscientious Capitalism, everything. And it's because of the work that people at the Heartland Institute have done. It's because of the work that Glenn Beck has done. It's because of the work that the million other people involved in this space have done over the past couple of years. Exactly. But what's really important, and I just want to, I'll finish with this and I'll let other people talk. I promise. Um, what's really important for people to, to understand is that just because people are running away, like Larry Fink, from the branding does not mean they're running away from yes. the plan. Right. They're not. And everything that they've done from Larry Fink to big CEOs at major corporations, to all of these people, the plan has not changed. In fact, I saw a report that came out recently, and I don't think I've sent this to you yet, but it's it's a, one of these reports where they look at the use of ESG reports in major corporations. And they found that in last last year, it was like, well over 95%. It was it was super high had wow. adopted ESG in these major corporations. If you go back to when Donnie and I first started talking about this several years ago, it was like in the 80s. So we went from in America. So we went from the 80s to 95, 96, 97% somewhere in that range. All while they're simultaneously running away from some of the branding that's involved with all of these things. And that's and that is exactly what they do. Um, same thing happened recently when they went into, they had a, uh, a United Nations organization, a net zero United Nations group, and uh, a bunch of these organizations that were part of this, businesses, left that net zero group. And then this was celebrated as a huge victory. Oh, they're running away from uh, net zero because they're leaving the group. But in actuality, they didn't change any of their policies. They just left the group because sure. being in the group looked bad so that's it's super important to understand that on the one hand we are it shows that we are winning the ideological battle on this front but it also is important that we understand that the that the plan the great reset sort of plan which has been called other things before the great reset that has not changed sure. and it's not going to change because there's way too much money to be made in it they've gone way too far down that road they cannot turn things around now and and frankly until more pressure is put on them, they don't have any reason to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Chris, what do you, I mean, what do you think about this? You, you've been following this uh, pretty closely as well. I mean, you just recently wrote an article in The Hill talking about this, this ESG compliance basically violates fiduciary duty and all of this. Like, is, is, do you think maybe that's an aspect of this as well? They're kind of running away from the this ESG thing as like this codify because like these funds are called ESG funds. Like it's basically mm -hmm. built into the names at this point. So is him like kind of running away from this maybe 
perhaps just putting a little distance in between like any actual like legal issues that could arise from this. I, I'm just completely speculating here. So maybe I'm completely off base, but what do you think about all this? That could be part of it. <clears throat> I, um, I did some research this morning. I wrote, you know, a brief, uh, op-ed about this today. And, um, I did some research about his, uh, letter to CEOs from 2018 to 2023 in 2018, he mentioned ESG specifically, I think 11 times in every single CEO letter since he's mentioned it less and less 2023, he was only mentioned once. However, he has shifted from 2018 to 2023 from highlighting ESG to highlighting shareholder capitalism. Now I think he's just going to shift from highlighting shareholder capitalism to conscientious capitalism. Right. These are all word games because they're all one and the same. It's all about, um, like Justin and you know said earlier, it's all about um, forcing uh, corporations. The you know the uh, BlackRock in and of itself owns seven percent of the entire S and P five hundred. When you put BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street together, they own more than twenty percent of the S and P five hundred. That means they have a controlling share of 95 plus percent of all S&P 500 companies, they can use that power to, in, in their, you know, in their words, change, you know, change society by using these ESG um, rules, in effect, to force oil and gas companies to stop producing, um, you know, oil and gas. They can use it to force uh, companies to do diversity audits, they can do all sorts of things. So really, I yeah. think, you know, it's like when you when you when you just take a 30,000 step view of this, you have three giant behemoth uh, asset management companies that have trillions and trillions, something like 60 trillion total under uh, assets under management. And they use that to force companies that would ordinarily want nothing to do with this stuff to play ball because if they don't, well, then they will lose access to capital. And Donnie, this includes big banks. You know, we think, oh, like Bank of America and JP Morgan Chase, they're doing this on their own. No, they're not. They're doing that because BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street have controlling interests in those big banks and force them to go along to get along. So this is something yeah. that I think has to be dealt with, like at the root level. You have three corporations, three asset management companies, financial companies that literally have, you know, outsized control over the entire U.S. economy. That is a blatant violation of antitrust. And it's I think that it's imperative that the United States government, obviously, it's not going to happen with Joe Biden in office. But hopefully in 2024, if you get a you know, Republican in office, they use the Justice Department to go after this based on the grounds that it is an antitrust. Yeah, you know, Jim, I'm going to bring you in on uh, in on all of this in a second, but it's interesting that you say that, Chris, um, about the you know the, these three funds, these asset managers, uh, BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, all using their like proxy voting, share voting, whatever the terminology is, to like push these companies in the direction of their agenda and all of that, because that just sounds like crazy. Like you hear that, and it sounds crazy, but like we have the receipts of this actually happening and people actually saying that this is the plan. And I say that it's funny that you bring that up because Jim just this morning sent me an article that exactly backs that up. I don't even have it in the show notes. I was just going to briefly mention it, but since you're talking about it now, I'll bring it up. It's a Washington times article titled top ESG asset manager says taking over big oil, a better path than boycotting. So it says the uh, top executive, at one of the world's largest asset managers and proponents of ESG investing says divesting from fossil fuels is the wrong way to persuade oil and natural gas companies to go green. State Street chairman and CEO Ron O'Hanley said engagement style investing 
Putting more money into high-polluting industries to gain leverage is how behemoth firms like his can wield influence and force change. And the direct quotes are basically like, oh, yeah, divesting from these companies might make you feel good, but you're not going to be able to get some change by doing that. You actually have to invest more. And And then, like... Because it's exactly what you're saying. That way that they have more voting shares and then they could just like force out board members and push these companies in the direction that they That's want them they to go. That's what they did at ExxonMobil. Engine number one, which had a 0.02% shareholder vote, was able to put on three board members who were adamantly opposed to increase oil and gas production, which is the bread and butter of that company. Right. But I, but they I also- put on like legitimate environmental activists on the board absolutely. of oil companies. Absolutely. That's what these, but, the power but, but, that these but, places But think have. about this. OPEC is a cartel. They get together and they collude to say, we are going to drop production in order for the price to go up. You have the same exact thing happening here where it's the uh, owners of these companies, you know, uh, Larry Fink and uh, Black, uh State Street and Vanguard saying, hey, we are going to cut production, uh, you know, which is going to make prices soar. And it's all so that they can, you know, invest more and more money into their green, you know, revitalization agenda. But it's the same concept. They are acting as a cartel. And the American consumer is the one who's paying the price for this. So, Jim, you can uh, feel free to jump in. Uh, you could talk about this article that, I, that we have on the screen right now, that Washington Times article that you sent me. Or you could talk about Larry Fink's comments about running away from the term ESG or the Titanic submarine, because I know that our fans <laughs> want to get back to that. Uh, I'll, I'll try to hit on all of it. I mean, uh, yeah, I shared this Washington Times story with you. Um, you know, just... I, <laughs> I long for the robber barons. I wish they would just come back. Um, you know, Andrew Carnegie uh, made his fortune in Pittsburgh in steel, and he used his money, um, his immense wealth, uh, for the for the greater good, the actual greater good. He built libraries all across America and museums, and he built things. He basically is probably the num- the one man. There's probably a handful of men in the early 20th century who are responsible. For the United States rising as a global power, we would not have been able. We were not a. We could not have become a military power if we were not an economic power, and we drove the world um, into modernity. And they did that because they were pursuing profits, and profits were good. And profits, you know, through the through the twentieth century, uh, are good. Like the uh, you know the <laughs> the movie Wall Street. We were talking about movie, movies earlier today. The movie Wall Street. We're supposed to hate Gordon Gecko, and when he makes his speech and says. Greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Yes, that's actually true. Um, free market capitalism is good. And if you want to call it greed, you're a commie. But pursuing economic um, uh, success makes all of the economy go. It brings people out of poverty. Oil and natural gas, our discovery and exploitation of, of fossil fuels, has done more to bring people out of poverty than anything else in human history. And to see Larry Fink and these guys, basically, they, they, they're, I, I like to say, Justin, like they're rigging the system. Uh, and part of the defeatist in me is like, it's kind of already too late in many ways that the system's already been rigged. That's why they can speak openly about things like a great reset and not really care for a couple of years as people get upset because they're like, Hey man, we already control everything. You could, you complain all you want. Um, but we still control everything. And for Larry Fink to call it, um, conscientious capitalism. Yeah. Of course, I'm the elder statement on this state's uh, the oldest guy other than Joe Biden on this podcast. (laughs) Uh And uh, I remember uh, George H.W. Bush 
was it him or was it W? I think it was W. It was, George it was w. w. Bush. Yes, right. W. Bush yeah. calling it compassionate conservatism. Um, yeah. No, actually, conservatism on its own was compassionate. It it encouraged again economic growth. It didn't want to just have endless welfare handouts. It wanted people to work for it and pull themselves out of poverty. So conservatism on a domestic scale actually was compassionate. Liberalism in keeping people in poverty forever to use them as votes uh, that is not compassionate but you know the, the the right is very great at giving away all rhetorical uh, <laughs> advantages that they may have to the other side uh you know but look the this 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 idea of taking over the companies i mean this is actually kind of revolutionary i suppose and that's why i shared that story with you this morning donnie it's like yeah, divesting. Forget that. That's old news. In fact, that's that's we've already seen how that fails. Just take over the company and destroy it. Move on to the next one, like a like a you know like locusts or something. It's like the only way we're going to get Exxon to stop drilling basically is to buy them and make them stop. Um, you know, because somebody will always be there to invest. What I do like to see is what we also saw this week. Uh, was not in the show notes, wasn't mentioned, but I've just just came to mind again today. Uh, saw a headline today that Norway. The country of Norway has decided to start ramping up big time its exploration for oil. Um, and it is now the, I think because of the boycotts against against Russia, it is now the number one supplier of oil and natural gas to all of Europe. And it, can, it, it plans to greatly expand its role in that very important job. And so while, you know, these masters of the universe who are pushing ESG or conscientious capitalism or whatever they want to call it, are doing these things, there are still places where people understand how the world works, what the world needs, and will provide it to them. So, you know, how does this all play out at the end, Justin? I don't, I don't know where, you know, what happens when, when leftist anti-fossil fuel commies take over Exxon? You know, what happens five years from now, 10 years from now? Yeah. I think one of the interesting things about all of this is that it's all built on an understanding that money is going to continue to flow into all of these different things. So uh, in a way, one of the things that people um, do when they talk about, you know, Exxon or any of these things is they think, well, Exxon is committing suicide, you know, by going all in on, on, on products that are completely uh, undermining their primary business. Right. You know, they're they're now moving into green energy and doing all this other stuff. They're putting people on the board of directors that that don't want to uh, have fossil fuels anymore. And it's a fossil fuel company predominantly. But the understanding that all these people have and have had for a long time is that there's going to be money for them in this, that money is going to keep flowing into their coffers. And so you can have the far left-wing people take over ExxonMobil. They can take over these other big companies and the money will flow to them. They will be fine because it's not about supply and demand anymore. Uh, not in a traditional sense. Now it's about pleasing central banks. It's about pleasing um, a big big private banks and central banks and government. And together, the central banks, the private banks, the government, and the big asset managers who are working with all these people are going to make sure that the that the the people who they like get the money, get, get the money they need and survive and even thrive and make lots of money. That's how this whole thing is set up. And so in a way, you could have the most incompetent group of people in the universe the most far left-wing socialistic people in the universe 
the most anti-fossil fuel people in the universe running a fossil fuel company and they'll still make money because they'll get it from someone. They'll get it from the central bank. They'll get it from the, or the private bank, which is getting the money from the central bank or whatever. Um, but they will all be taken care of. And that's, and, and that's the whole point. What they're being told is exactly what Larry Fink said. That's why those letters are so important. When Larry Fink says, you know, access to, ca you know, getting capital, that's not a right. That's a privilege. It's like, yeah, a privilege that he and central banks and government and, and private banks that they together control. They're the ones, that's the privilege. The privilege is you are in good graces with us and we'll take care yeah, of you. We're getting to That's a point. We're getting to a point where like power and influence is more important than the actual money, Jim. I mean, this is old. This is old system you're talking about, man. We need political control. That's what the Great Reset's all about. I think, I think, I think this is a classic case of centralization and, and and the perils of centralization. When you have three asset management companies, uh, you know, controlling in essence the U.S. economy in the direction that all these corporations are taking, whether it's GM forcing them to make, you know, cars that people don't want to buy or for mm -hmm. ExxonMobil to stop investing in fossil fuel consumption, which people actually want and need to live. That's that to me is like the heart of the issue. The issue is that now you've got three of these, you know, asset management companies that have such outsized, you know, clout that they can force and they say it. I mean, I, 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 um, quoted Larry Fink saying the entire point of this is to change, you know, like to change the direction and to force the direction that we want. And that's the, what they're doing. And right. they have the wherewithal to do it. And we need to stop them from having that power. This actually explains a lot. If you think about, you know, when, when uh, you know, investments say in so-called renewable energy, right? Wind and solar. Uh, you, you would say a logical person who understands the energy economy would say, but that it doesn't work. It's not efficient. It does. It's not on all the time. It's it's not, it's not a good source of it. These are not good sources of energy for for operating economy. And the answer is it doesn't matter because the Larry Finks of the world are, are that's where they're going to put their money. They're not going to put it in in actual mm -hmm. energy that works. Mm -hmm. This is why you know like Ford, for instance, they just they're again Ford Motor Company is going to lay off several more thousand people. They lose something like thirty thousand dollars per electric vehicle that they make, and it doesn't matter because the Global elites say we're switching to electric cars and you are going to make them. It doesn't matter how much money you lose on them. Those are the only cars we're going to let you make. Right. And so when you see these things happening that are starting to trickle into the affecting in affecting your real life in, you know, the coming blackouts that we're going to be having this summer because of heat waves and, and unreliable energy when your car is is uh, is is outlawed and you can only buy an electric car, but you actually can't afford it. So you're just not going to have a car. I mean, this is all part of the plan. This is the, that's the only stuff they are going to invest in. They're going to cram us into this dystopian future against our will because they have all the power and all the money. And this right. also and they, applies to social justice causes. You know, people are up in arms saying, why is Target doing this, you know, with the transgender stuff? Why is, you know, uh, Bud Light doing this? They're doing it because guess what? Who owns them? The big three. And they're pushing the social agenda too. So even though people are like, oh, oh my gosh, you know, Target just lost a couple billion in market share. It doesn't matter because they've got trillions, you know, and they just are there to do the bidding of these, uh, you know, big asset management companies. Right. And and the money, and this is, and this is the point that I was, getting at to earlier and it's the most overlooked point in all of this is the reason the asset managers because a lot of people would say well why would asset managers that have investments in these companies why would they want them to do things that 
even in the short term are going to lose money. Why would they want to do that? Why would they want to have them alienate their customer base? And it's because over the past decade and, and even going back a little bit further than that, so much money, trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars have been pumped into the financial system that were pr it was printed out of thin air, did not exist. It's not based on supply and demand. It's the, the central bank got together and they uh, in Europe and in America and elsewhere, and they printed the money and then they pumped it into where? The financial system, the banks get it first. And then the banks give it to who? They give it to people like big corporations, asset managers, et cetera, right? So there's plenty of money to go around. Like the idea that these people are not going to have money because uh, me, because I'm not going to go to, you know, buy Bud Light anymore. It's like in the long run, that doesn't matter because the, they'll print the money and BlackRock will get it from the it, banks and they'll give it to Bud Light, like Anheuser-Busch. Sure. Like that's going to happen. As and long, that's what's fueling all of this. As long as you're in the club. And I saw John Z in the comments put a nice George Carlin quote on there because it's a big club and you're not in it. And that <laughs> is more important. Being in the club, playing by these rules, being favored by BlackRock and State Street and Vanguard is more important than selling some beer to to Chris or Jim. Like that's yep. that's the reality of all of this. Correct. And uh, and when you're part of that big club, you get certain privileges, which ties in nicely to my next story about BlackRock, well, which I, is can I, just oh, I had such a great transition. Go ahead, Chris. Can I just have one quick question. I, this better I, be I, important. Well, no, I, I do question the long-term viability of their strategy because, yeah, in the short term, they might be making lots and lots of money. But what about future generations? What about their grandchildren? Do they care about the kind of world that their grandchildren are going to live in if there is no fossil fuels? So that that that, that that's that's the thing that like I just can't really wrap my mind around. They well, know that this is bad for the long term, but I think that they are insulated from it because they live, you know, no, in no, their no, no. They they've got central planning at their at their core. They think that if they're controlling everything as opposed to everything just being spontaneous order from a chaotic free enterprise system, that's where the danger but, is. But we if we were to just focus on purely we on the levers, but if we're to just focus on the climate aspect of it, because that's what a lot of this is, are you telling me that you really think because these people are I, I think that they're fairly intelligent and they have to understand like you know just like base like basic economics and basic science that we are not even near ready for this you know green agenda and they want us to go you know net zero by 2050 that's 20 something years from now I mean that would that would be complete and utter like devastation for their grandchildren do they just not care I mean I know we're trying to almost like get in their minds here but I th that that's the thing that just like like you know confuses me are they just are they so wrapped up in their own like personal gain here in, in the here now that they are just saying, screw, you know, future generations who are going to, have to pay the price for this? I think it's hubris. I, I honestly think that it's yeah, the same okay. mindset of the Soviet Union people that thought that, like, once we have our hands on the controls of everything and we're the ones that are dictating how much bread is produced and how many screws are produced or whatever, then we won't have any access of whatever will be more efficient and the, the future will be brighter than ever. And guess what? All the academics believed in that and they took field trips down to the soviet union well, and reported I mean, back how they, great they everything they was study history i mean it's like are these people naive are they well just, no no they, they just have delusions more high tech now. now 
they think we're more high tech now than back then, which, you know, we are, but it's still not going to help us when we're hurtling down towards Every poverty crit. and suffering and all of that. Chris, and I know Donnie wants to transition out. So yeah. we'll, we'll, sorry for we'll oh, we're going long, but, folks. Don't worry. But, but every... <laughs> Every single going back thousands of years, every single tyrant who has ever existed had a history that they could look back at and say, boy, it didn't work out for those other tyrants. Sure. And they could have at any point in time for thousands of years said, maybe this tyranny thing doesn't really work very well and we should do something else. And yet, no matter how many times it happens, they never learn the lesson ever. They always think this time it will be different. This mm -hmm. time I will be better. I will learn from their mistakes and I will do it better than they did it. And if we could just get more people on board and if we could just get more of our opponents out of the way, and if we just had more money and we just did this and just did that, it would have worked out a lot better. That's why Bernie Sanders almost became the, the president of the United States. He was one of like four guys who was going to be president of the United States. This guy is a Sandinista loving communist. Okay. <laughs> and yet somehow he almost became president. He literally lived through the, all of Mao and Mao and the Soviet Union and all those people. And while the Soviet Union was in the process of mass murdering people, he was honeymooning there and talking about how great it is. It's because they always think like, well, yeah, you know, the Soviets, they, they, they've got it mostly right, but there's just a little bit that they've got wrong and I'll be better than they are. And it's just, they never learn. They never learn. There's a part of human nature oh, yeah. and, and that anyone, wants just, you to be it, in but control. It's just, it's just so preposterous on its face to say that we can get rid of fossil fuels in 20 years and be net zero. And they, they have yeah. to know that to some degree. Well, yeah, but the, the people that are saying that know. are also, and we've talked about this on the podcast too, the people that are saying those things are written off as climate deniers and not allowed to talk on social media yeah. and their shadow banned and all of that. So yeah. I think there is even a level of ignorance that comes to this. It well, seems how like come, the but, consensus, then, but then how come their actions don't follow their words? How come uh, Larry Fink is not living, you know, in a little like shack off the grid? Why is he flying? Because he's five? too important to live in the shack. The same reason why but the that, head of but, the Soviet but, Union didn't live in a, in a some shack. Some animals right, are right. more equal than others. Come on. This is basic stuff. <laughs> I, know, I know. I know. <laughs> well, look, look, like Justin, I mean, you say that they'll do it. You know, they, they, they convince themselves they're going to do it better this time. And the fact is that, that they actually have. I mean, if you think about the Bolshevik revolution, it was a political revolution. And then the commies, uh, the revolutionaries took control of the economy. They're going to do it better this time because first they're going to take control of the economy yep. and then they're going to take, take control after that of the political mm -hmm. system. And so they've, well, and, they've yeah. learned from the past and they've learned how to do this. And note that all of their strategies, you know, in real capitalism, instead of this fake version of capitalism that Larry Fink, one of the wealthiest people on earth, uh, is involved in with BlackRock, in real capitalism, if there is a outdated technology or if there's something that 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 humanity is using a lot of, you come up with a better way to replace it. And then the free market chooses you because yep. you are better and you are more affordable. Mm -mm. No, 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 no. That kind of capitalism does not lead to social revolution. What we got to do is no, we got to ban all this. Yeah, that's yeah, careless <laughs> capitalism. And that's freedom, actually. That's also very bad. No, what we're going to do is we're going to ban all the stuff that we want to replace with things that don't work as well so that the people will be easier to control. Boom. Third, third part is the, the social revolution. So they have learned, Justin, um, and we're seeing. You're right. We're seeing. No, no, that no. They've you're, learned. They're constantly. I, I agree. Good they're point, constantly man. evolving. I would argue, and they are getting better in the sense that they're still authoritarians, but they have become 
not as violent, generally speaking. They've be, they've shifted tactics. See, mm-hmm. it used to be back, and technology allows for this. I mean, this is a big reason why technology is so important is because you can actually become more authoritarian in a world that's technology rich without having, because you don't have to kill everybody in order to accomplish your goal, right? So it used to be back in the olden times, when you wanted to uh, stop people from saying bad things about the government, you had to go door to door. You had to drag people out of their homes. You had to send them off to Siberia. It was like a whole thing. You know, it was, it was, a, it was a big thing. And you had to kill people. It was expensive. It was costly from a PR troopers. perspective. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like stormtroopers ain't cheap. And so but now, now all you have to do is, is just ban them from all social yeah, media. Click a button. Click yeah, a few buttons, ban them from social media, put out some things saying these people are radicals and you shouldn't give them money anymore at the bank. And, and all of a sudden you can ruin a person's life and you don't even have to, you don't have to put them in prison to do that anymore. Right. And so it's, they're just as authoritarian. The tactics have allowed and technology has allowed that to manifest itself in, in kinder, gentler ways than what they used to have to do to shut everybody up. And that's, that's how this is all moving. So when you're Larry Fink, you say, look, look, I'm not saying we should uh, nationalize the oil companies or that we should throw people in prison. I'm just saying we should buy the stock and have them do the right thing. Right. And to a lot of people, it's like, oh, yeah, that's not that bad. But in reality, what he's it's trying to say effect. is it's the same thing. We get <laughs> yes. to, the elites get to control how society operates and we don't really care what the consumer wants or what regular people want. doesn't matter to us. You don't have any say in it. We're the elites. You're the stupid sheep. Do what we tell you. That's how this works. It's the same thing every time. They, it's just the tactics you're, change you're, the technology. You're so right. And uh, and like I told Donnie yesterday, uh, BlackRock runs constant commercials on Fox News, it, it, which is yeah. in my mind in and of itself. But their but but their tagline is invested in Americans, and they talk about how they're all just for the, for the heartland, for the farmers. And I'm just sitting there shaking my head, going, "No, you're not. You are you 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 detest these people. You think that they are you know the the deplorables." You, you know, but, but, but you're trying to put on this facade that you actually care about them. Yeah. And I, right. and I think mo- most people probably buy that. Yeah. They're, they're the far right that Larry Fink was just blaming the toxicity of the surrounding the word ESG uh, stems from, but yeah, we'll run some more commercials on there just to kind of save face a little bit. All right. Remember my awesome segue into this next topic. Cause I'm not going to try to recreate it. I just want to bring up the next, uh, uh, black rock story that I wanted to talk about. So this is a Breitbart article. It's talking about something that has been going on for a little bit, but, uh, this is just kind of freshened it up a little bit. It's uh, titled wall street windfall black rock tapped to rebuild Ukraine's economy. So like I said, when you're in, when you're part of the club, you get to be tapped on the shoulder for really, uh, lucrative things potentially. So, Reading from the article, says Ukrainian President Zelensky is tapping Wall Street firms like BlackRock and J.P. Morgan to help garner private and public investments to rebuild Ukraine amid its war with Russia. Through the Ukraine Development Fund, BlackRock and J.P. Morgan will, quote, mobilize capital from private and public sector investors towards rebuilding the Ukrainian economy. According to CNN, as financial investors admit, they'll see the fund as a lucrative windfall. So I think this is obviously, uh, you know, there's going to be a rebuild Ukraine push when Mm -hmm. the war is eventually over. 
And surely companies and charities and other firms will line up to dump cash into the country to rebuild. And I'm sure the U.S. is graciously going to reallocate another $60 billion to the cause. And who is positioning themselves as an intermediary, ensuring that the funds get to where they need to be and likely taking a nice, healthy chunk off the top for their troubles? Well, BlackRock and JP Morgan, of course. What caring guys these people must be with real halos above their head. What do you think about all this, Jim? Oh, well, uh, hopefully we're going to play a video that we got that, uh, you know, from our friend James O'Keefe, who's now no longer at Project Veritas, but he's got his own outfit called O'Keefe Media Group, OMG, which is brilliant. But uh, yeah, the <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it funny? You know, I guess I should care more about the Ukraine war, even though I said in the beginning of the podcast that I don't, because it actually, as you mentioned earlier, Donnie, does tie into all of this because, um, well is the video shows war is good for business. It's good for big business. It's good for, it's good for these uh, global controllers, for these global elites, because there's going to be a lot of money to be made. There's already a lot of money being made right now. Look at all the money that, uh, again, we just printed, I suppose, and just, and just send it over to Ukraine. And then it's just grift and graft everywhere. And what, what, what did we just find $6.2 billion in the seat cushions by accident and sent that over as well? Right. Uh, you know, so it's like, yeah, if it's war is fantastic for business. And, you know, it used to be that the left was very much against war. I find it really, really actually I don't find it that curious. But isn't it interesting that the biggest supporters of war, global war right now, are not mm -hmm. conservative warmongers and war hawks. It's uh, for the most part, people on the left. Yeah, um, I, I could bring up that James O'Keefe thing uh, now because it does tie very much into this into this story. But if Justin or Chris, you have any comments specifically on this story with, you know, uh, BlackRock setting up in yeah. Ukraine, have at it. Uh, I, I think that uh, Ukraine presents a, a unique situation, unique opportunity for them because it's more or less going to be a blank slate after it's, you know, basically like, you know, just reduced to rubble. And I also have been uh, reading and hearing lots of things that Ukraine is very um, open to digital currency and a lot of the stuff that BlackRock and, you know, these these people are pushing. So I think that they see uh, Ukraine as like their test laboratory. It's like their guinea pig where it's like, let's do a, a pilot program here for the digital currency for all this stuff and see how it works. And then, you know, make changes accordingly when they do their, you know, more massive rollout in the United States and, you know, other uh, Western European countries. Uh, yeah. So I want to bring up, I want to bring up this because it ties in this, this kind of cinches it all together. So, uh, you know, we talked about on this podcast before project Veritas cutting ties with James O'Keefe. I'm not sure that we talked about his new group, the O'Keefe media group, OMG, as, as Jim, uh, described it. Well, OMG has been doing what project Veritas used to do, which is duping people into candidly saying stuff on the record that they would never usually say on the record. So a week or so ago, we got another one. So OMG released a series of videos about Serge Varley, a BlackRock recruiter who described BlackRock as an organization that is able to, quote, run the world. Varley has a bunch of interesting things to say. And I think we have a video of, of some of the some of the highlights. So why don't we go ahead and play that video? The news. They, they don't want people to talk about them. They don't want to be anywhere on the radar. Why not? 
I don't know, but I suspect it's probably because it's easier to do things when people aren't thinking about it. All of these financial institutions, they buy politicians. You can take this big ton of money, and then you can start to buy people. I work for a company called BlackRock. Meet Serge Barlay, a recruiter at BlackRock. Let me tell you, it's not the who's the president. It's who's controlling the, the wallet. So it's, it's the, and who's like, that? The hedge funds. The banks, these guys run campaign financing. Yep, you can buy your candidates. Obviously, we have the system works. First, there's the senators. And these guys, you got 10 grand, you can buy a senator. I can give you 500k right now. No questions asked. Yeah. I'm gonna do this. We're done. Does like everybody do that? Does Blackhawk do that? It doesn't matter who wins. You're so They're They're my pocket at this point. Here's Sir. We're going to stop it right there. Because, that is uh, really depressing. I, I mean, there's more to it, and I'm sure you could find the, the video. I have the link to it in the show notes and all of that. Uh, but just for like the sake of the audio-only listeners, it's easier for us when we're watching it. We see the little uh, you know, captions on the bottom. We can follow along. A lot of background noise, but just a handful of things that this uh, BlackRock recruiter had to say. And talked about how it's easier for BlackRock to do things, quote, when people aren't thinking about it. And the asset giant doesn't want to be anywhere on the radar. Um, you can take a big effing ton of money to buy people. I work for a company called BlackRock. It's not who is the president. It's who is controlling the wallet of the president. You can buy your candidates. First, there is the senators. These guys are effing cheap. You got 10 grand. You can buy a senator. I'll give you 500,000 right now. It doesn't matter who wins. They're in my pocket. Um, and then he also says how war is really effing good for business. So I want to focus on that first one. Uh, well, actually, first off, let me just kind of clarify a couple of things. Uh, I don't think that this guy necessarily represents BlackRock. Like, he's not like a representative. He's, he's not a spokesperson. He's not an upper brass of the company. But I do think that his attitude likely is reflective of the culture or at least the mindset that thrives within a business like BlackRock that has so much power and influence. So the first statement where that uh, that I read, that it's easier for BlackRock to do things when people aren't thinking about it and that the asset giant doesn't want people uh, doesn't want to be anywhere on the radar. I think this perfectly lines up with the first BlackRock story that we were talking about of uh, uh, Larry Fink trying to run away from ESG. And we've talked about on this podcast before the advocates of the Great Reset and ESG were able to set up so much of the infrastructure, so much of the ESG stuff under the radar. And by the time that we sounded the alarm on all this crap, the ball was already advanced like 90 yards down the field. And it wasn't until we shined a light on their agenda, the Great Reset, ESG, all of this, that their plans were finally shown in front of the general public and that it received a ton of blowback, a ton of criticism, a ton of pushback from uh, you know people and sitting legislators and all of that. So this is exactly why Larry Fink is crying about the term ESG and how it's been weaponized. No, Larry, it's not been weaponized. It's just been finally exposed to public scrutiny. And that is bad for business for them. They like to live in the shadows. That's what all of this stuff is about. And I think that that quote from this Serge Varley guy just perfectly exemplifies that. But uh, Justin, thoughts, thoughts on uh, any of these stories so far? I think that... Um... I don't think that it surprises people on the right. Um, 
today that basically the Washington establishment in particular is kind of all on the same team. And, uh, but I do think that it surprise would surprise people of say 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. And the further back you go, I think it, probably the more likely it is that people thought this really wasn't going on, that, that really it isn't as corrupt as it sometimes seems, but there's always been a segment of the left and there's always been a, the sort of libertarian wing of the right that was highly, highly skeptical of people in power just generally that that your team, whether that's Democrats or Republicans or whatever, that a lot of them are corrupt, not necessarily all of them, but a lot of them. And that big interests are really controlling them. And that's either government interests or in some fashion, bureau- bureaucracies, unions or um, black rocks of the world or those kinds of people. But I think now more than ever, people have realized what's going on because of the internet, because of alternative media, because of, you know, think tanks and other things sort of blowing, uh, blowing the cover for all these different people. I think we're finally getting to the point where a growing number, I don't think a majority of Americans, but a very large chunk of Americans on both the left and the right do not believe that the people in control, the people who are in charge of these major institutions, corporations, uh, big investment firms, banks, government, etc., are really putting their interests above everyone else. Uh, you know, are putting the interests of the people above their own interests. I don't think most people believe that anymore. Who are um, really politically active? Then there's this giant segment of of people who still do believe that, but they don't pay attention. And that's the only reason that they believe it. Um, and, and I, and I really think that that's what's, I really think that's a good thing. We, in a lot of ways, we've seen so much negative stuff happen for the, the, the pro Liberty movement in recent years, especially with Joe Biden and everything and the great reset and COVID lockdowns and everything. But the one, I think the really great thing that has happened other than the Supreme court, some of the amazing stuff that's happened there. The really great thing that has happened is we are all now well aware, I think on the right, especially, but even a lot of people on the left too, are well aware that the elites in Washington, the so-called swamp, whatever, they are not on our side. And big corporations and big banks and central banks and financial institutes, they're not on our side either. And their interests come before our interests and they will sell us out the first chance they get, regardless of whether they're a Republican or a Democrat or an independent or whatever. There are some good Republicans. I'm sure there are some good Democrats. I'm not exactly sure who they are, but I'm sure they're there. (laughs) But the vast majority of the people who are in the swamp are swamp creatures. They, that's what, that's the world they live in and they are not putting you first. And the same thing is true with wall street. And the same thing is true. With these big corporations. We used to think that, well, we're pro business people on the right. So the corporations are on our side and it's like, no, they're not. They're on their own side. They will do whatever they possibly can to benefit themselves at the cost of everybody else. And if that means selling out, if that means getting tax cuts, then yeah, they're for that. But if that means becoming crony, corrupt, globalist elites, then they'll do that too. They don't care. And I and I really think that this is actually a very positive development. It's very healthy for us because this probably always 
existed mm-hmm. to some extent, mm-hmm. but we had been fooled for so long into believing this other sort of narrative existed. And and really, Donald Trump, just his mere his mere existence bothered these people so much that they showed their hand over and over and over again. They overextended themselves and his and his mere existence on the public stage saying, yeah, of course I bought people off. That's what everybody does. You know, saying <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. Right. Stuff, stuff that no politician has literally ever said. Yeah, I was a Democrat. Uh, yeah, I was a Republican. I switched parties. Doesn't really matter. They're all the same. I'm buying people off. That's how you get business done. Let me tell you, if you don't buy people off, you don't get business done. And people are like, what the heck? Like, yeah. nobody says this. He's like, you guys you... should know you wrote the rules. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, whether you love Trump or you hate Trump, like that, the fact that that the that people lost their mind, elites lost their minds. People forget a lot of Republican elites lost their minds too. The fact that they that that him standing up there saying those things they that caused them to 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 break out of their shell do things they normally wouldn't do caused the conservative media the truly conservative media to start looking into the things that they normally wouldn't look into they normally aren't investigating big corporations right. they don't care about that kind of stuff and all of that led to where we are now where we actually have a much better sense of the situation that we're in and what we need to do to get out of it and i think that that's actually a positive thing all right i've got a, i've got a much more pessimistic take on that oh, uh, i think i think i think 2016 well actually i no, I, no i'm not being sarcastic yeah. that's okay. literally um <laughs> so 2016 you know uh donald trump ascends to the presidency and it was you know like unheard of and no one thought it was going to happen he wasn't beholden to the you know washington dc establishment he wasn't beholden to the swamp he wasn't beholden to you know big corporations what did they do to him look at what they did to him so, so that just goes to shows me that the entrenched power of the uniparty of the Washington D.C. swamp of the so-called establishment is so great that you can get this like you know one-off where the people just say we're fed up and we're just going to put someone in there who's a total outsider and we want him to go in there and change you know the the course of things. Look what they did to him. They made his presidency. You know, they handicapped him from the very beginning. They spied in his campaign. They used every trick in the book Absolutely. to make sure that he was unsuccessful. Why did corporations oppose the wall? Because of the labor. It's like, come on, like all this stuff just makes total sense. Sure. So the fact that we had someone who was brave enough, and I don't agree with Donald Trump on everything he did, and I don't agree with his behavior and a lot of stuff, but I did very much appreciate the fact that he was an outsider. He was a businessman who had common sense policies that I think you know most people agreed on. Look what they did to him. And also on the note that the left is like becoming um, you know, like people on the left, like voters are becoming aware of this. I think they're not becoming aware of this. I think that what's happening with ESG and all this, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion stuff is way for corporations to just, you know, greenwash and to just tell them, actually, we're the good guys. Remember, because uh, sure. 2007, 2008, big banks were seen as the as, as the worst people in the world. They caused Absolutely. the recession, the 99 percent, you know, uh, Occupy Wall Street. Gee, what happened shortly after that? Banks went woke and, and they started, you know, doing all this DEI stuff to placate those on the left. And I think right. that it's worked very well. So I think we're actually in a pretty untenable situation. And that's why, I, you know, I, I'm going to come full circle. Started the podcast by hoping in 2026, we can still celebrate, you know, Independence Day and all the great stuff that is America that's three years away. I don't know. I don't know if we're going to make it to two. I don't know if we're going to make it to 250 years. What do we do to our, the know. heart of the podcast, Chris Talgo? The heart of the podcast over here. We've turned his heart black. This is uh, I feel not... so guilty. Jim, take us home. You're the last Chris, guys. 
Chris, I am the most cynical and uh, negative person on this podcast. You are not allowed to take my spot. It's mine. We uh, are doomed I... as a as a submarine heading towards the Titanic. I tell you, that's right. You finally got it in there. <laughs> I would just add to what Chris said that he kept saying, "Look what they did to Trump. They is our own government. They is the FBI. They is the Department of Justice. They is the CIA." Uh, they are the judges on the FISA courts. So what's really depressing to bring it even deeper than what Chris is saying is that um, these are people that are still in control, not just in some nebulous way over our economy or in Europe somewhere, but the they that destroyed Donald Trump because he was not in the club is our own government. And we are supposedly, as we come up to Independence Day, a people with a government and not the other way around, which was the whole purpose of setting up this country. And we are now um, we are now a government that has a people, it seems, much more and more and more and more. Because, you know, as Justin even said, love or hate Donald Trump, there's one thing that he was not, and that was uh, part of the system. And he was absolutely nuked from space by the entire establishment, including the Republican Party. So, you know, that's the depth of the problem here. That is how far down the corruption goes, that it is it seems to be literally impossible to escape or to oppose in any meaningful way, which is why Larry Fink can get away with just changing the words of I'm just we're just not going to say ESG anymore. We'll just call it something else. Right. Um, you know that that's they they do these things because they know they can get away with it because it seems that the entire system is rigged to make sure that they succeed and that liberty does not. Oh, wait, wait. We have a late guest. I know we're already 12 minutes long, but we have a high-profile guest coming in. President Joe Biden, are you there? Can you hear me? Oh, there you are. Oh, yeah, Dub. Thanks for having me back on. There's a lot of allegations against me, and I'm ready. I'm ready to address them head on. Yeah, well, we brought up, we started the show talking about a new, new uh, message from Hunter Biden, where he's like specifically says that you're sitting right next to him when he's threatening this like a, a Chinese businessman. Can you, can you address these allegations? Were you actually sitting next to Hunter Biden during those fateful conversations? Oh yeah. You know, this, this, this is just a bunch of malarkey. So I did a quick Google search this morning to figure out what the most trusted name in news is. And, and I heard it with CNN. So I thought if, if CNN isn't reporting it, it can't be true. So I checked out what CNN showing this morning and, uh, Apparently, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in the economy that I can take credit for. So, so that's more important than all the um, this 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 corruption against me. And then I, so I, I kept looking. Like, apparently, I'm on a CPAP now, but I'm seeing I'm seeing no allegations against me and nothing about these text messages. If if CNN's not saying it, it, it just it obviously can't be news. It can't be real. Yeah, that's. I guess that's a fair point. I, I don't know. I mean. Uh, were you though? Were you sitting next to yeah. Hunter Biden? Do you recall that? I mean, you seem pretty lucid right now. You're talking at a at a faster rate than you usually Look, are. So, does anything come to mind that might not usually? Yeah, yeah. Look, look here's, here's what I have to say about this. My son Hunter is that uh, I I don't know if you've heard this, but uh, he he's an addict. So, well, generally speaking, when you're an addict and you do bad things, it's it's more heroic than it is than oh. it is bad so so i was just there supporting my son yeah 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 if anything we need to look at this as a victory for the mental health community and, um, and anything saying otherwise 
is straight malarkey. Uh, well, now, was I in the room? Was I in the room? Like, I don't know. I, I can't remember. I, I'm in a lot of rooms. I'm not. Like, like, but am I ever really in the room when you don't know what's happening around you? Right. A, and like, like, I, it's, it's a solid question that you asked me. Yeah. yeah. Right. Jill, was I in the room? Jill's, Jill's not responding to me lately. <laughs> well, Mr. President, I mean, you know, you're wearing a CPAP machine when you go to sleep. So that means you you almost suffocate to death every time you take a nap. So, uh, you know, be careful out there, big guy. <laughs> I, I'm, uh, I'm always suffocating when I'm awake. I don't have to be asleep for that. <laughs> All right. Joe Biden, I, I want to thank you again for taking the time to be on our podcast. It's, it's you know, it's really appreciated. I know that you have a busy schedule, but oh, you yeah. take time out two weeks in a row to be on our show. You know, I, I want to hats off to you. Good, sir. Well, I mean, I get around pretty quickly. I've got my spaceship. I can just dart between locations. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? Is that new technology? Is that, All right. Like well, I'll get out of here, boys. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh yeah! Look, I I I brought all my most look the people I care about most. My dog Major Hunter. There wasn't there wasn't room for Jill. Sorry, Jill. <laughs> all right, See, have that, fun that on your UFO, spaceship, sir. That UFO uh, stuff all right, is thanks for having look. me on the show, guys. I appreciate it. <laughs> Bye, Joe Biden. All right, audience, thank you for joining us for this episode of the In the Tank podcast. Join us every week for a new episode. If you like our show, please subscribe. Leave a review for us, especially if you are watching or listening on iTunes. It would be greatly appreciated if you do that. If you would like to, uh, for those audio-only listeners, you can catch our show a day earlier where we're streaming live noon central time on YouTube and Rumble, and Twitter, and Facebook, and you can join the conversation, throw your comments and questions. Maybe we'll address your comment or question on the fly. Also, you could help out our show by just doing a couple of things, hitting that like button, subscribing, sharing this content, even leaving a comment under the video all helps break through these big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more people. Also, if you'd like, you can follow us on Twitter at In the Tank Pod, and if you have any questions or suggestions for the show feel free to email us at in the tank podcast at gmail.com jim lakely where can the fine people find you at jay lakely on twitter at heartland inst on twitter and always visit heartland.org fantastic uh justin haskins same question at justin t haskins on facebook twitter getter and uh check out the uh some of the shows that i'm doing on youtube over at the justin haskins channel just search justin haskins i think it's at justin t haskins for that as well you can find some interesting videos i'm doing on some of the stuff crazy stuff going with the united nations lately so fantastic and chris talgo what do you have to pitch today uh heartland.org and stoppingsocialism.com go check it out fantastic all right thank you all for tuning in we will talk to you next week